You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. We continue on in this uh, in our series for the next few weeks through Covenant. We talked a lot about Covenant through our series through the summer and early fall uh, through Genesis, and so we are uh, continuing to talk about Covenant. Remember, Covenant is a promised legal binding between God and His covenant people, Israel. God made this covenant with Abraham. He told Abraham, through your family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He told he would receive a promise, a covenanted, if that's a word, land that they would be promised. So God operates with his people based on covenant, based on promise. And so we've seen as we've been going through uh, Genesis and even last week as we talked about the Mosaic covenant, that the backbone of the Bible is the covenant. So we kind of saw one piece in Genesis, the covenant re- reminded to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We saw last week that it was reiterated to Moses and God's people, Israel. And now we're going to see that that covenant continues, that backbone continues to get built on with the Davidic covenant of King David. Now, God had told Abraham in Genesis that through his family, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And God also told his, great, his grandson, Jacob, that through his family, that kings would come from his family. Well, that's what happened. We saw in the Mosaic Covenant that God had led his people out of Egypt. And he said, based on the, cove- based on the covenant I am making with you, your obedience is required. You see, in Genesis, God's covenant was made with his people based on God choosing them. And then the covenant was elaborated a little bit more on more to in the Mosaic covenant in Deuteronomy, as we saw, that then it was their obedience was the requirement of the covenant. Well, now we're going to see here in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that that covenant is now going to include a dynasty. We'll talk about that in just a minute. That, a, that kings would come through this family line, and God had told Jacob that. And so as God's people, after the Mosaic covenant, as God's people entered into the promised land after hundreds of years of waiting, God's people arrived there in the promised land, that promised land that God had told Abraham he would give them. They established themselves there in uh, in that promised land, and the nation of Israel began to grow, and they wanted a king. So they, they come together, they put a king up, King Saul. And if you know uh, the bib- biblical history, and, and you see in Scripture, all throughout 1 Samuel, King Saul was not a good king. He was not God's chosen king. He was God's people's chosen king. And then again, we see our human natures that were control freaks. We want to be in charge. We want to uh, manipulate God's will and plan. And so God gave him a king, and it cost them dearly. But then God chose his king. His king was David. And we know the story of David and his life. He defeats Goliath. He runs from Saul for a period of time. And then eventually David becomes king. So we see here in 2 Samuel chapter 7, if you have a Bible, turn there with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7, that after all these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, God is going to expand upon the covenant 
he has with David and with his people, God's chosen people. So look at 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. you can, if you don't own a Bible, you can take that with you. Those Bibles, the purpose of those is to be given away. But look at 2 Samuel chapter 7 and look at verse 1. It says this. It says, when the king, and when we're talking about the king, we're talking about David. When the king had settled into his palace and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies... The king said to the prophet Nathan, look, I am living in a cedar house while the ark of of God sits inside tent curtains. What's David saying to the prophet Nathan? He's saying, I have it better than the ark of the covenant does. The sign, the picture of God's covenant with Israel. The ark of the covenant, I have it better than the the ark of the covenant does. So verse three, so Nathan told the king, go and do that as all on your mind for the Lord is with you. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go to my servant David and say, this is what the Lord says. Are you to build me a house to dwell in? From the time I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until today, I have not dwelt in a house. Instead, I've been moving around with a tent as my dwelling. In all my journeys with all the Israelites, have I ever spoken a word to one of the tribes of Israel? whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why haven't you built me a house of cedar? So now this is what you are to say to my servant David. This is what the Lord of armies says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, to be ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before you. I will make a great name for you like of the greatest on the earth." I will designate a place for my people Israel and plant them so that they may live there and not be disturbed again. Evildoers will continue to oppress them as they have done ever since the day I ordered judges to be over my people Israel. I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. When your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of, rod of men and blows from mortals. But my faithful love will never leave him as it did when I removed it from Saul, whom I remo- removed from before you. Your house and kingdom will endure before me will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. You and I aren't kings. We don't have that in our bloodline, and our country doesn't have a king, and so uh, we, we don't know what it's like to be a king. But as we study history and we look at kings, kings have a tendency to be obsessed with themselves, right? To the point where they are so obsessed about their legacy. What is their legacy? And they want their legacy to continue on through the years. They want their legacy to continue through their bloodline, through their family. We see that in the um, 
the, the country of England, the United Kingdom, and though they're really just nothing more but mascots, um, but they, um, they, they, they've got a king, queen, you know, royal family, everything else. And so they, they have this bloodline, and what's, what it's called is a dynasty, right? You have a dynasty. And so what God is telling King David, he's saying, your reign is going to continue. Even after, you're di- after you die, your reign will continue, God tells David through the prophet Nathan that his covenant, this king, is not going to be a political king that's going to rule a country. He's not going to just rule a country. He's going to rule countries. He's going to rule nations. He says that this king is going to come and he is going to establish his king forever. Now, every great dynasty comes to an end. We look throughout all of human history, dynasties have a tendency to end. Countries are great and then they fall. That's just, that is world history in a nutshell. That is what happens. And so for God to tell David that his kingdom and throne will be established forever is really unusual because that just didn't happen. Because at some point, a nation, a country will get stronger and it will overtake the other, other country. So what God is talking about here, he is talking about not just a, he is not talking about a political king, he's talking about a spiritual king. Now, but let's go back to this covenant here. This is called the Davidic covenant. This is unconditional. God's promise here, this covenant he is making with David is unconditional. We don't see here in verses 1 through 16 as God communicates to David through the prophet Nathan, we do not see God saying, David, you do this and then your kingdom will be established forever. We see God say, your kingdom will be established forever. So God's covenant here with David is unconditional and it's a good thing too, right? It's a good thing David, this covenant with David, is not established by obedience. Because as we know, a few chapters over in 2 Samuel chapter 11, David is anything but obedient, and we'll get to that in just a minute. This covenant that God makes with David is unconditional because God does not place any conditions of obedience upon the fulfillment of the covenant. The promise is guaranteed based solely on one thing, God. It's God. God's even saying, I don't need a house. I don't need a temple. God, this promise, the surety of this promise is based, rests solely on God's faithfulness. And it does not depend at all on David or Israel's obedience. Now, there's something to remember for us as the church. Because God here is, he's giving an Old Testament hint about the church. God is saying, I don't need a house to live in. God is saying, I'm going to live in hearts of my people. And so we know that through the gospel of Jesus Christ that we are sinful, we are wicked, we are rebellious. And if we are a believer in Jesus Christ, we know that God resides within us in the Holy Spirit. 
and after our salvation, God's covenant of salvation to us, praise God, is not based on our obedience or our disobedience. That covenant, that promise of salvation is guaranteed, not based on what we do, but on who God is and what Jesus Christ has done. Faith family, there's something that we have to come to a really clear understanding that your salvation and my salvation is not based on how good we are. Your salvation is not based on coming to church every Sunday. Your salvation, your standing with God is not based on how much you pray. Your salvation, your standing in relation with God is not based on how much you read the Bible and how much you know about it. Your salvation and my salvation is based entirely on the work of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection. Nothing else. So we must remember that covenant of grace that is extended to us as the church. But there's a, there's a second thing that we see here in the covenant that God makes with David is that God reaffirms the promise of the land that he made in the first two covenants with Israel. Remember, in the Abrahamic covenant, God told Abraham that I'm going to give you this land and this land will be yours, your descendants, they will be enslaved by a foreign country for 400 years, and then they will come back to this promised land. God had promised Abraham and his immediate family that they would have this land. And then in the Mosaic com- uh, uh, covenant that we saw last week, that God was promising his people that they would go into this promised land. And then we see this promise again in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 10. Remember, we're building this backbone of covenant. It says, moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them and they will dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore as previously. So even in this promise, God is expanding on this covenant that kings will come from, but God comes back to the promise he made to to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12. And he says, I will, I will, I will promise you this land. And in second, or in third, God promises that David's descendant or seed will succeed him as king of Israel and that David's throne will be established forever. Look again at verse 12 and 13. The Lord said, when your time comes and when you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and will establish the throne of his king forever. And so God promises that David's descendant or seed will succeed him as king of Israel and that David's throne will be established forever. That's where we have that dynasty come in. That his throne will be established forever. Again, that is very, very rare. All dynasty comes, dynasties in sports end. Dynasties through world history come to an end. But God is telling David, your dynasty, your kingdom will be established forever. And this is a reference to the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. That there was going to be a Messiah that was going to come. That he was going to come and be the king of nations and that all nations would bow down to him. 
And then we see the provisions of the covenant are then summarized. Here's the provisions of the covenant. Here's how this is going to work. Look at verse 16. It says, And your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. The promise that David's house, his kingdom, his throne will be established forever is significant because that shows that the Messiah will come from the lineage of David and that he will establish a kingdom from which he will reign. The covenant is summarized by the words house, family of a, of a line promising a dynasty in David's family bloodline. It's referring to a people who are going to be governed by a king. So you have the throne and emphasize the authority of the king's rule forever, emphasizing the eternal, unconditional nature of this promise to David and Israel. And so God is telling David through Nathan, a king, the king will come and establish your throne, his throne forever. So we know, based on what the Bible shows us, that Jesus has come, he has died, he has resurrected, now he has ascended into heaven. And folks, I have some really good news for you. Jesus is coming back. Now, how is that going to happen? I don't know. If I wanted to make a lot of money, I could probably just write a book about it and throw my theory out there. But I do know this. Jesus is coming back. And he is coming back as a king, and he will rule and he will reign forever. And that is fact. That is known fact. The Bible teaches that. But as we look at ourselves now as the church, as God's covenant people, the church, to be part of the church, we have to believe in this king. We have to follow this king. We have to give our life over to this king. It's called salvation. It's called surrender. And part of the beauty of coming to know Jesus Christ as our Savior is that he also must be Lord. We've talked about this before, but it is easy for us to be comfortable with the idea of Jesus as Savior. We like to run to that idea that Jesus is Savior, that, he's gonna, that He has saved us, He's got a home in heaven for us, that we are not a, no longer accountable for this, our sins, that He has taken our sins upon Himself, He has atoned for our sins, he has, paid the, he has died the death that we could not die, He has paid the price for our sin, He has saved us from our sin, He has rescued us from being a slave to our sin. So yes, Jesus is our Savior, but if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, He is also your Lord. He is your King. Part of becoming a believer in Jesus Christ is that we are not control any longer of our lives. It is no longer what Adam wants in his life. It is not no longer what you want in your life. Jesus At the moment of salvation, Jesus is king in your life and mine. That means that part of salvation is surrender. To where we are handing over our lives to King Jesus to allow him to be the dictator of it. And that goes against every fiber of our being. 
isn't it? Because as we talked about last week, we are born sinful. We, it is in our DNA to want our own way. It is in our DNA, it is in our genetic makeup to refuse to want to have a king. Why do children disobey their parents? Because they don't want to be told what to do. Why is it that adults act a fool at times? Because we don't want to be told what to do. Even our country was established on rebellion. We threw tea in a harbor, and we said, no, you're not going to tax us on anything. And we shook our fists. Our country was established on rebellion. So not only is it in our genetic makeup, but as Americans, it is in our makeup to be rebellious. But Jesus says, if you are going to be one of mine, and if you are going to be a part of my church, I am your king. And you and I cannot be a believer in Jesus Christ and want our own way. If we live a habitual life of wanting our own way, wanting to call our own shots, and demanding our way, and living however we want to, want, to, want to live, that is, yes, living as Jesus as Savior, but that is not living Jesus as King and Lord. And if we live our lives in a way of want, wanting our own way, and doing our own thing, and living however we want to live, that is not a sign, that is not evidence of a regenerate Christian. And so, if you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ, if I claim to be in Jesus Christ, yes, be a believer in Jesus Christ, we must understand Jesus as Savior, absolutely. But He also must be Lord. He also must be King. And here's the reality of it. Even if we do not want to bow the knee now to King Jesus... One day, we will. The book of Revelation is very clear on that. It says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is King. So you and I have a choice. We can make Jesus King now. Or we can recognize him as king later. Well, let's make Jesus king now. Because as, as the prophet Nathan told David, he said, Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. And then let's see verse 18, what the response of this was by David. Nathan declares all of these things to David that his kingdom would be established forever. And here's David's response. I'm not going to comment much on this because I think his words speak for themselves. Look at verse 18. It says this. Then King David, verse 18, then King David went in and sat in the Lord's presence and said, Who am I, Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? 
What you have done so far was a little thing to you, Lord God, for you have also spoken about your servant's house in the distant future, and this is a revelation for mankind, Lord God. What more can David say to you? You know your servant, Lord God. Because of your word and according to your will, you have revealed all these great things to your servant. This is why you are great, Lord God. David's not talking about himself. This is why you are great, Lord God. There is no one like you. There is no God besides you, as all we have heard confirms. And who is like your people, Israel? God came to one nation on earth in order to redeem a people for himself, to make a name for himself, and to perform for them great and awesome acts, driving out nations and their gods before your people. You redeemed for yourself from Egypt. You established your people Israel to be your own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. Now, Lord God, fulfill, all, fulfill the promise forever that you have made to your servant in his house. Do as you have promised, so that your name will be exalted forever. When it is said, the Lord of armies is God over Israel. The house of your servant David will be established before you. Since you, Lord of armies, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant when you said, I will build a house for you. Therefore, your servant has found the courage to pray this prayer to you. Lord God, you are God. Your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, please bless your servant's house so that it will continue before you forever. For you, Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing, your servant's house will be blessed forever. What did David just do here in, in these last 12 verses? He worshiped. He worshiped. He understands, he, he says, God, you are great, Lord God. My house is not great. My kingdom is not great. Your kingdom is great. And he worships. And so this response of Jesus being the king of kings, as we just sang a little bit ago, this reality of Jesus being Savior and Lord, Jesus being king of kings, the response to that is worship. So when we talk about every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, when we talk about that, we are talking about worship because when we kneel is a posture of worship. And the only way we can truly worship Jesus is for him to be king. You can't worship Jesus when he's just your savior. He has to be your savior and your Lord. So the question I ask for you, faith family, and to myself, is Jesus our Savior, and is he your Lord? Pray with me. God, we thank you for this elaborate redemptive plan that from the beginning of time you put together to redeem your people to yourself. Ultimately, so that we can worship you. God, we thank you that you are always working for your glory and our good. God, I pray if there's anyone here that has never truly surrendered their life to Jesus, that today they would do that, that they would give up, that they would roll over, they would surrender and make Jesus Savior and Lord in their life. God, even as believers, even as part of your church, God, we 
are still have a tendency to be rebellious. We have a tendency to disobey. And so, God, I pray that you would continue to refine us, break us of our rebelliousness, and that every day, every moment, you would become more and more Lord of our life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leawood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. Music